morning, everybody. It is really great to be here with you today. Uh, I was telling these guys, I am so excited about the new site uh, that I got in my car this morning and I drove there. I got, uh, <laughs> seriously, I was about two-thirds of the way there and I'm like, wait a minute, where am I going? We're still up at Fort Hill. So, um, so it took me a little longer to get here than I expected. But, uh, but we are, as V said, starting this new series today called Getting to Know God. And over these three weeks together, we are going to talk about what it means to know God, and we're talking about really who is God. Now, if I ask you that question, how would you answer it? If I said, who is God, um, how, how would you answer it? You, you may say, well, he's this thing called the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or uh, you may say, I mean, you, you might try to dive into some deeper theological discussion, or, you know, there's lots of different ways you could go with that. But here's the, here's the thing. When it comes to knowing God, there's so much about God that we are never going to know. There, there are so many things about him that we're just going to never have the answers to. We're, we're just going to have to shrug our shoulders and say, I don't know. And, and honestly, that's okay with me. Because I don't want a God that is small enough that I can know everything about him. I, I don't want a God that I can easily put into a box or define in a certain way and, and, and kind of categorize in a certain way. I want a God that is huge and vast and beyond my understanding, a God that could create this incredible universe, and, and that's exactly what we have. But here's the really cool thing. The Bible does tell us all we need to know about God. It tells us the important stuff about God. So, so while God is huge and unknowable and in some ways beyond our understanding, the Bible tells us that God is also personal and real and able to be known, at least, again, with what's important. And so o over these three weeks, we are going to take a look at this week, God the Father, next week, God the Son, and then finally, the last week of the series in three weeks, God the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at each aspect, each person of God together. Now... Right away in the very beginning of the Bible, the first words of the Bible are these. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And, uh, and, and these words, words were written thousands of years ago. They were written in a language, in, in a very old, ancient language called Hebrew, a, a language, by the way, that was dead for many, many years and then revived uh, only in, in, in the 20th century as the nation of Israel was reestablished. And now there's all these native Hebrew speakers when for a long time there, there weren't. It's this very old, ancient language, and it, and it begins with these words. And, and I find it interesting that the writer of the Bible at least this part of the Bible, a guy by the name of Moses, many years ago, he believed that the most important thing we needed to know about God right away at the very beginning is that God is our creator, that God created us. Now, now by the way, when you see these words in the original language, it's a little weird. It, it would almost make you think that whoever wrote them didn't, didn't get his grammar right. Because the word for God here is a word called Elohim. And in Hebrew, it's a plural word. I mean, literally, if it was just by itself, you would translate it God's. But the rest of the sentence is all indicating that it's singular. So that's why we translated God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But, but again, if you were a native Hebrew speaker, right away when you looked at those words, you would go, there's something, wait, wait, God, is it God's or God? What, what is it? And the answer, of course, is, well, kind of yes, as, as we know, right? 
because of this thing called the Trinity. One God, we say, singular, and yet three persons. And, and again, we heard that in the reading, how the, right away it talks about the Spirit of God hovering over the waters, right? And then we, we get this little glimpse of a conversation happening right away in, in Genesis chapter 1. We, we, it, then God says, let us, who's the us? Well, again, there's that glimpse of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. We get a little view of this conversation taking place between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And, uh, and they say, let's make human beings different than everything else we've created. Different than all the animals and all the plants and all the birds and all, all the fish and, and, and everything that's alive in this universe. Let's make human beings different. He says, let's make human beings to be like us in our image and, and that doesn't mean we physically look like God, but, but what it means is we're capable of relationship like God. We're capable of love. We're capable of, of pain. We're capable of joy. He created us with this ability to be in relationship, both with God and with one another. And, uh, and then God didn't just create us, but he began to provide for us right away. In, in, uh, in Genesis chapter 1, he says, look, I've given you the seed bearing plants throughout all the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And, and then later on in chapter 9 of Genesis, God adds on to that and says, and I'm going to give you all the animals, large and small, and all the birds and fish I've given you for food, just as I gave you the grain and for the vegetables. So God provides not only our life itself by creating us, but he provides food for us as well. And by the way, I don't know about you guys, uh, maybe some of you are vegans, and chapter, chapter uh, 1 there would have been enough, but I'm really glad Genesis chapter 9 is there too, right? <laughs> I'm going to make a stake later on today, and I'm going to say thank you, God, for Genesis chapter 9, right? Um, there's this other really cool thing that sometimes people miss in Genesis chapter 3. Now, if, you, if you've read the book of Genesis, you know that in Genesis 1 and 2, it teaches us all about creation and how we came to be. And then in Genesis chapter 3, we're told how human beings chose to disobey God. And the first sin comes into God's creation, the first disobedience, the first rebellion against God. Adam and Eve decided we can go our own way. We can make our own decisions. We don't need God. And, uh, and this relationship with God was broken for the first time. And God had, had to come and, and tell Adam and Eve the, the result of that. The result of their sin was going to be this, this broken relationship. That, that, that their life was going to be different now because of the choice that they had made. And I, I don't know if you remember this, this detail, but, but before they sinned, they were naked and didn't even notice, didn't even care, didn't even realize it, weren't even worried about it. They were so focused on the, the others that they weren't even thinking about themselves in that way. But once they sin, instantly they become aware of their nakedness and they're ashamed and they're self-conscious. And, uh, and so do you remember what they did? They made themselves clothes, but they made some, themselves clothes out of leaves, we're told. Now... I don't know about Linda and I were talking uh, before the service, and she was telling me about a friend who was doing a motorcycle trip through rain, and 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 he had to stop and put on his his uh, waterproofs. Right? Yeah. yeah. Imagine if those were leaves. <laughs> that wouldn't have worked, right? Yeah. So Adam and Eve, they, they knew that they were naked. And they had to cover themselves, so they made clothing out of leaves. And God kind of looked at them and went, "Wow, that's pathetic." And now, if, if it was me, if I were God, and, and these human beings that I had created, these human beings that I love, these human beings I had just given this capacity for a relationship, 
And that, yet they chose to disobey me. They chose to go their own way, even though I knew what was absolutely best for them. They, they refused to believe that, and they sinned. I would have said, okay, yep, you're on your own. Figure it out. We'll see how the, how the uh, you know, fig leaf clothing goes for you. But God didn't do that. Even as God was ushering them out of the Garden of Eden, he said, you know, guys, geez, those clothes are pathetic. Let me take care of that for you. And he gave them a new set of leathers, right? He, he made clothes for them. God provided for them. Now, we also heard a reading a little bit earlier from the book of Acts. And now this is in the New Testament. And now, now, now we're in a new language. We're in Greek now. And now we're in a new place where thousands of, of years later after that Old Testament was written. And now we find this guy named Paul. Now, Paul was a follower of Jesus, not initially but, but Jesus appeared to him um, on the road to Damascus, and, and, and Paul came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, the one sent by God who had died and risen from the dead. And, uh, and, and so now Paul is passionate about sharing Jesus with people, and he's in this place where they don't know Jesus. And, uh, and as he's walking through the town, he sees they have all these different altars to all these different gods. They were very pluralistic place you know everybody's faith was great with them and and so they had all these different altars and and, and they just wanted to make sure they covered all their bases uh, so they even had this place to an unknown god you know just in case we missed one here's your altar right and so Paul decided to take advantage of that he goes you guys got this this altar to this unknown god let me tell you about him he's the lord of the universe and he created everything none of those gods had created anything He's the Lord of the universe. He created everything. And, uh, and, and uh, he, he doesn't live in any temples built by human hands. And then he said this. He said, he himself not only created everything, he said, but he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. In, in other words, Paul said this, God didn't just create us. And he didn't, didn't just give us stuff like plants and animals for food. He's not like sitting back to just kind of watch and see how we make out now. He says that God is intimately involved in every moment of our lives. In fact, he ends by quoting one of their own poets who, who, who said it this way, In him we live and move and have our being. I remember I was in a science class once and... Uh, professor was talking about subatomic particles and he said candidly scientists still don't understand why they hold together the way they do i do it's god if I, a lot of people believe i think that god is just kind of out there somewhere watching us but the Bible teaches that God is right here with us, intimately involved in every moment of our lives. He says, in him we live and move and have our being. You don't take a breath if God doesn't will it to happen. You don't move a muscle if God doesn't allow it to happen. God is intimately involved in every moment of our lives. And I love this little part in there where he says, God did this so that we would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him though he's not far from any one of us. When I hear that, this is the image I get. Did you ever play hide-and-seek with a really little kid? I mean, like a really little kid, so little, like, if, 
like if you went in the closet, he will never find you, right? So what do you do? You go in the closet, but when they're walking by, you go, <coughs> right? And then they do find you, right? That's, that's what I picture when I hear this verse, that, that, you know, God isn't like off in like some really hard to find place, and, and we've got to really work hard to find him. It's like, yeah, he wants us to find him, but he's there going, <coughs> I'm right here, you know? God is involved in every moment of our lives. And so, as we described before, there are these three great creeds of the church. And creeds are really nothing more than summaries of what God has already said about himself in his word. And there's the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed. And if you really want to get adventurous sometime, look up the Athanasian Creed. We don't say that one very much because it takes like 45 minutes to read it. It's really long, right? But... Uh, but this first creed, the oldest creed, the Apostles' Creed, is literally a couple thousand years old and was written um, in the very earliest days of the church based on the teaching of the apostles before even a lot of the books of the New Testament were written. And it begins again with these words, I believe in God. And not just any God, it's God who is, we are told, the Father Almighty. And just as the Bible began by telling us that God is the creator, so does the creed, it says, and he is the creator, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, about 1500s later, this guy named Martin Luther, where we as a denomination get our name from as Lutherans, Martin Luther came along and he wrote something called a small catechism. Um, and Luther was really upset that people didn't have basic knowledge about God. He, he was stunned that so many people knew so little about God. And so he wrote this thing called the Small Catechism. A catechism is just a, a, a little study book. And he wrote it, really, for parents to use with their, with their kids. But a lot of pastors ended up using it with those parents, too, because they needed to learn as well. And, and, and in, in Martha, Martin Luther's catechism, he, he, he looked at the commandments, and he helped us understand them. And he looked at the Lord's Prayer and helped us understand that. But in what I believe is the most beautiful part of the catechism, he wrote some explanations for each one of the three parts of the creed, for Father, Son, and Spirit in the creed. And I, I just want to read these words to you today. Luther wrote this. He says, well, what does this mean, this I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? Luther said this, I believe that God has made me in all creatures that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, spouse and children, land, animals, and all that I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me from all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me, for which it is my duty to thank, praise, serve, and obey him. And then he said, this is most certainly true. Now, you may have noticed that I stopped reading there because I memorized this when I was like eight years old. And then I taught confirmation class for 12 years, and I listened to seventh graders recite it to me year after year after year. In fact, when you, when you leave the seminary, um, one of the things that they do after your years of seminary education is they give you this thing called a theological interview. And it's three professors, and they sit down, and they basically grill you for about four hours to make sure that your theology is correct. Now, I've heard, Mike, they don't really do that anymore, right? Not the same way, yeah. 
Yeah, right. But, uh, but I remember mine. I was terrified. And the second question they asked me was, uh, can you recite Martin Luther's explanation? And actually, it was to the third article of the Creed. And I said, I believe I cannot by my reason or strength believe in my Lord Jesus Christ or come to him. But the Holy Spirit calls me by the gospel and light me with his gifts. I went through the whole thing. And they were like, oh, nobody's been able to do that before. I said, I taught seventh grade confirmation class for 12 years. Right? But I, I just think these are, these are beautiful words from Luther and, and this explanation of what, what God the Father does for us. By the way, in the original German, it, it even sounds more beautiful than the original English. He wrote it so it was easily memorized. A lot of the words rhyme. It's just, it's beautiful. This beautiful description of who our God is and what he does. Now, Luther could have used words like omniscient because God is all-knowing. He knows everything, right? We talked about that recently. He knows everything about us, and he still loves us. He, he could have used words like omnipotent. He's all-powerful. God can do anything. Literally, just he spoke, and this universe came into being. That's how powerful he is. He could have used a word like omnipresent, that God is everywhere, like we were talking about before. But here's what I love about Luther's explanation, that it, it doesn't use these big theological terms and focus on these, these big concepts about God. Instead, very simply, he says... He created me, he loves me, he takes care of me. That's who our God is. That's who God the Father is for us. Now, some people have this picture of God, right? God the Father. Now, anybody, I'll give you bonus, bonus points if you know what TV show that's from. Monty Python, right, that's exactly it. Anytime God showed up in Monty Python, that's what God looked at, this kind of king with a big beard and these whacked out crazy looking eyes up there in the clouds and he spoke with a deep voice and every once in a while, remember what would happen? His big foot would come down and crush someone, right? That was the picture of God. But that's not the picture the Bible gives us of God at all, is it? In fact, I was thinking, okay, so what would be my best picture of God, at least God the Father, and there it is. Now, that's actually me on my grandpa's lap a long time ago, right? But I, I, I'm not trying to say my grandpa's God. No, I'm not saying that at all. He's a pretty good guy, but he wasn't God, right? But, but just that picture for me epitomizes what the Bible teaches us about God the Father, that, that he's got a lap you can always crawl up on when you're scared or when you're lonely or when you're tired or when you're just not sure when life just isn't making sense. You crawl up in God's lap and, and know that he's always going to be there for you. He's always going to love you. He's always going to provide for you. My, my grandpa did some pretty crazy providing for me things. Um, I remember one time um, I, I, I stopped in at Grandma and Grandpa's house, and Grandma had just got back from the store, and she had this brand-new golf shirt she had gotten for Grandpa, and, and she showed it to him, and I went, wow, Grandpa, that shirt's really cool. He goes, here, you can have it. I'll get another one. I, I, you didn't have to give it to me, but it was cool, so I took it. But our God is always there to provide for us anything we need. And by the way, he gives us what's best for us, too, just like a good parent does. I mean, those of you that are parents, you know, you don't give your kids everything they ask for. You give them what's best for them. 
I like to say it this way. When I ask God for something, he always either says yes or I have something better for you. That's the picture of God the Father that I really love. So here's my question for you. As you think, who's that person in your life that you could always go to, that was always there for you, that, that took care of you? Who's that person? Maybe that was a, a dad or a grandpa, or maybe that was a mom or a grandma. Maybe it was your favorite aunt, or maybe it was just a really good friend. But who was that person for you? Now think about that person and multiply times a million, and that's God. Luther ended those words with these. He said, he said for, the, for which, all the stuff that God does, he says, for which it is my duty to thank, praise, serve, and obey him. Now, now notice he doesn't say that it is my requirement that I do those things. God doesn't say I'll only love you if you thank, praise, serve, and obey me. God just does it. But Luther reminds us that as a result, we do have a response. We do have a responsibility. And that is to, to thank God, to let him know how much we deeply appreciate what he has done for us, to, to serve him, to, to, to dedicate our lives to doing what he wants us to do, which he knows is best for us to do, to praise him like we're doing today as we gather together and sing or as we just do in our, in our prayer times when we're alone with him. We have a responsibility and an opportunity. One, la one last thing before I'm done today. Just two passages. And i got to tell you, one of the things I love about my job is I get to study the Bible a lot to do things like preach sermons and stuff. And I can't tell you how many times something brand new that I never realized before just hits me up the side of the head. Even though I've been doing this since 1980 when I graduated from college. I've been in ministry in one way or another. That's a long time. I'm looking around the room. How many of you were not born in 1980? Yeah, a bunch of you. Yeah, I know, that's kind of frightening. But anyway, um, yeah, the other day I was checking out at, where was I? I, 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 was, I was a jewel, and I was checking out, and the bill was 18, no, it was 1985. Was the, I said, 1985, that was a good year. And the cashier looked at me, I go, you weren't born, were you? And he goes, no. <laughs> okay. But, uh, but, but for all these years I've been studying the Bible, still something will just hit me up the side of the head, and I'll go, wow, I didn't realize that. Let's see, two last passages. The first one is in Mark chapter 14. Let me set the stage for you. It's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night before Jesus is just about to be arrested. And after he gets arrested, he's going to be beaten. He's going to be put on trial. He's going to be crucified. He's going to die. It's all going to happen the next day. And he's there in the garden, and he's on his knees, and he's praying to his heavenly Father. And he's like, Father, I don't want to do this. It's going to be hard. But, but I... I know there's no other way, so Father, your will be done. But, but, God, but Jesus uses this word for the Father. He calls him Abba. He says, Abba, Father. And, and here's the one I never realized. I was, I was searching for the word so I could find this verse, and this other verse comes up. And it's from Galatians chapter 4, and I probably read it a dozen times, but it never occurred to me. Uh, Paul says this. He says, because you are his sons, he's talking to us. He says, God sent the Spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit, he's talking about the Holy Spirit, we're going to talk about him in two weeks, and he says the Holy Spirit calls out Abba Father, there's that word again. Now what does that word mean? Well of course it means a, a 70s pop band, right? That's what they're talking about? They're talking about Abba? No, that's not what they're talking about, right? 
literally the word Abba is, an, is another language. It's in Aramaic, which was kind of the everyday language that Jesus spoke and that Paul would have been raised speaking. And you know what it, you know what it means? It means daddy. It's, it's the really familiar, loving version of father. Daddy. So think about that for a minute. Hardest night of Jesus' life. He's just about to go through a brutal day where he knows he's going to suffer and die. And he looks up to heaven and he says, hey, Daddy, I need your help. I need you right now, Dad. And, and here's the cool thing I never realized. The Holy Spirit calls him Daddy, too. What's that about? I, I, I never noticed that before. You get this picture of the Trinity. Here's Father, Son, and Spirit. And both, both the Son and the Spirit look at each other and go, that's Daddy. Isn't that cool? Folks, we've got a Daddy in heaven. And he made you. And he shaped you to be the exact person you are. And he knew you would live now, right here in 21st century America, and he knew you'd have to go through COVID, and he knew you'd have to go through everything that you've struggled through in your life. And he, he provides for you, he sustains you, he is with you, he loves you. He's always there for you. You can always crawl up in daddy's lap. Feel his arm around you know that everything's going to be okay. Let's, let's pray. Lord God, you are all those big words. You're omnipotent and you're omnipresent and you're omniscient. You're probably a bunch more omnis that I don't even remember. Lord, the most important thing to me today is that you're also loving and that you've created me and that you provide for me, that you are with me, that you are my daddy up in heaven. Uh, Lord, thank you. Thank you for being there for me. Thank you for being there for all of us. Lord, help us to, to thank, praise, serve, and obey you like we should. Most importantly, God, let us never forget for a moment that, that you love us. In your name we pray. Amen.